Hello, this is Marissa Schaefer, and welcome back to Dancewell Podcast. This is my first episode of the season, and I'm going to bring my friend Will Zinzer on to talk about returning to the studio post-COVID-19. So we'll talk about a whole bunch of guidelines to get you back into shape and get you back dance ready. Um, And we'll allude to a bunch of other things that are super important too, including um, mental health and well-being, nutrition, sleep, and all that jazz, all these different aspects of health and well-being you can learn about on our podcast. So we invite you not only to listen to this episode in full, which is super important, but also to take a look at our past episodes, which will help you get back into dancing shape. And additionally, Will and I talk about a whole bunch of resources that will um, be helpful guides to get you back and ready. So we invite you to look at the program notes to check out um, information on mask wearing and guidelines for activity progression and soreness rules and even more. So a little bit about Will. Will Zinzer holds a dual bachelor's degree in athletic training and health promotion from the University of Texas at Austin. He has earned his master's degree in exercise science with a concentration in strength and conditioning from the Milken Institute of Public Health at George Washington University. Mr. Zinzer comes to dance medicine via gymnastics, having competed in high school and college and circus arts, studying aerial and acrobatics at Circo Arts, a division of Christ Church Polytech in New Zealand, and other places around the world. He has worked administratively for a self-producing regional theater, and we also work together at NYU Langone's Harkness Center for Dance Injuries. So let's welcome Will and enjoy the episode. Buckle your seatbelt. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological development. Today, you are in for treat. Hi, hello. This is Ellie Kushner, and this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Hi, Will, and welcome to Dancewell Podcast. Hi, Marissa. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm very glad to have you. So for our listeners, some of you have gone back to dancing already, some of you are about to go back to dancing, and some of you have a long time before you get back into the studio. But anyway, you slice it. Um, We'll all be back at some point. So we thought this was a great point in time to bring Will on, uh, to have him talk to us about some guidelines for getting us back to our pre-COVID readiness. Um, So thank you again, Will. Uh, and I'm going to hit you with our, our first question. So in an ideal world, um, when should we start training again to get ready to go back uh, to dancing like we did pre-COVID? Well, um, I've been looking at a lot of different research around detraining. Not necessarily a lot of it has to do with dance itself, but just kind of general metabolic changes. And a lot of those things start to happen immediately. And obviously we've been out of the studio for a really long time, but I think that no matter what our circumstances is, circumstances are, Mm -hmm. whatever our circumstances are, I think there are things that we can be doing now to prepare or even get closer to preparing to go back to the studio. Um, Being in New York, Spaces are really tiny and tight. Um, Obviously, we don't have a sprung floor if we're used to dancing on those. But I think there are things that we can be doing in our homes, socially distanced, um, that can prepare us now, no matter what those circumstances may be. So um, the only things I can think of that would preclude us from starting now would be if there are just um, a lot of demands 
because of the situations that we're in now. If there just isn't any mental space for it, if um, we have other tasks in terms of taking care of children or family members or things of that nature that would um, just deplete our energy, deplete our demands, deplete our focus that would kind of take us away. But if we're not dealing with those types of things, there are certainly things that we can be doing at home now to um, start that journey back to um, our pre-COVID selves. Absolutely. So um, I, I want to kind of bring up one thing that you mentioned in the kind of litany of things that would preclude us from starting our training mm -hmm. right now. And one that you mentioned, I think was super important was that we don't have the emotional space. I think I've talked to a couple of dancers who, I mean, this is like a really tough time for the performing arts community. Um, and a lot of people have lost their job. And um, I've had a couple of people say that they just don't feel like they can participate in anything that's kind of dance related because it it kicks up too much for them. They're, they get too upset. Um, and to them, I say, you know, that's, that's okay. You can take the time off um, that you need until you feel like there is a light at the end of the tunnel and you're ready to start going back, or maybe you don't. I 100% I agree. I think what we know from rehabilitation and injury, there's a huge component that's mental preparedness. If we're not mentally prepared to fully commit to the activity or the maneuver, the move, um, that hesitancy opens the door for injury to happen, whether that's acute or chronic or um, anything. So I think if we're not mentally prepared to go back on this journey, we need to be honest with ourselves about that and recognize that there are, maybe our first step in returning to the studio is to develop a mindfulness practice where maybe we meditate, where we um, go for walks so that, you know, we can be outside and um, do things that help us mentally get back to where we need to be before we start doing any physical activity. Um, I've certainly, even, even in preparing for this podcast, <laughs> I found that in this, in this time, it's motivation is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And um, procrastination is at its peak. And we need to find those things just to be honest with ourselves. So I've, I've been a huge proponent of doing mindful body scans and just kind of citing like, what do I feel today? Where am I holding tension? What doesn't feel good? What's feeling restricted? Um, and just kind of monitoring that from day to day to just kind of take note, like none of it's good, none of it's bad. Right. But just kind of knowing where we are so that we're better able to identify those places that we have for improvement later on. Absolutely. I mean, and that can also be getting your sourdough starter skills on or sewing, you know, um, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, in my opinion, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be a sit down and meditation, but perhaps something else to get you out of the mental rut. Yeah. Anything to kind of take us away from an election cycle, uh, you know, <laughs> global <laughs> right. warming, exactly. pandemic, things that just kind of take us away and connect us to our humanness, I think are all really great. Um, I even recently went and got a massage and found that it was, 
it, I had a mask on the entire time. So did the practitioner. Um, but it was, it was a nice way to kind of tap into what my body was feeling mm -hmm. without me having to exert the mental energy on staying focused and blocking out the rest. Cause it was like, Oh, she's touching my arm. She's massaging my calf. She's, and it kind of helped me tap into what I was feeling with just laying there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I also do have a sourdough starter and a knitting project right now. Good. So well, so do oh, I don't have a sourdough starter. I have celiac disease, but I do have a knitting project. I'm I'm starting a gluten free sourdough. What? Okay, well, right talk now, this very moment after yes. this. But we've gone down a, a rabbit hole. Um, so okay, let's go back to the question, which was like, in an ideal world, when we when should we start training to get ready? So if I heard you correctly, it sounded like you're advocating for um, no matter where you are in terms of getting back into the studio or not, now is a good time to start preparing yourself in some way, shape or form. Am I hearing that correctly? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Whether it's um, mat-based Pilates, whether it's yoga, whether it's working on our cardiovascular fitness by going for runs or bike rides. Um, we can even do a lot of cross training in terms of strength training and resistance training with body weight and core stability. We can do all of those things at home without requiring too much space. Mm -hmm. um, the cardiovascular stuff gets, we kind of need a little bit more room and to go out and be outside um, if that's an option. But um, these are all things that we can start doing at home to make the transition to the studio easier. Um, okay. So that kind of like leads me into my next question pretty directly, which is what should we be incorporating into our training? So you've mentioned a bunch of these things. Are there some things that you would definitely say like dancers should 100% do over others or? I think, I think yoga and Pilates definitely have a direct connection into the end product goal and they're not they can be modified pretty easily to not be super strenuous and to kind of meet us where we are right now. Um, a saying that I love um, is that we don't dance to get fit. We get fit to dance. Yes. And I think this time more so than any other, we're given the space to really adhere to that. Um, we can take the time to figure out what our fitness levels are and do things specifically tailored to those. So if we haven't been doing much in, during COVID, yoga is a great easy way to work on our flexibility and some of our stability. Pilates obviously is going to incorporate a lot of our core strength. And um, I think they're really great ways to kind of start this journey back to the studio without anything that's high impact or, um, too demanding on us and might even be distant enough from dance that if we are having trouble signing up for a Zoom class online or don't feel comfortable going to back to studios that are reopening, they're a space to move. There is a choreographic element to it that hopefully we can connect to, but um, doesn't drum up any of those fears or that anxiety around returning to the studio. Excellent. And in terms of like, if we are that person who really has not been doing much besides, let's say, taking a walk and doing our knitting project and our sourdough starters, um, when we start to do things like the yoga and the Pilates, um, would you suggest, and I'm also going to say that this is a person um, who has not had COVID, I guess I think 
you know, that's a different subject, um, who's remained relatively healthy otherwise. Would you suggest that we, um, the person should do yoga and Pilates five times a week, like start, you know, strong off the bat or maybe slowly progress into that? Slow progression. Absolutely. Um, so the National Strength and Conditioning Association, NSCA, actually has a really, they published a paper several years ago before COVID. And it was mainly directed at heat exertional illness and um, rhabdo, but um, it was tailored to athletes returning after a long duration of time away from training. And in their recommendations for people that are coming back, they have this, um, they call it the 50-30-20-10 rule. And it's basically, um, it's a little, it took me a while to look at it to kind of understand it, but it's basically the percentage of what you're gonna take away from your training for every week. So basically it would take you five weeks before you get back to 100% of training. Um, so the first week you do 50%, the second week you do 70%, 80%, 90%, 100%. Honestly, so this is about over five weeks. Um, I think this is a pretty um, ambitious <laughs> goal to feel like you could get back to 100% of your training within five weeks. Yeah. Um, obviously, like they'll, with a, the NSCA is working with a lot of very structured programs and people that are in off season and, and a lot of privileges we don't have in dance in terms of um, having a strength and conditioning coach and um, a staff around us to help facilitate this. Mm -hmm. But I do think it is a good kind of idea that no, absolutely not. Even people that have this huge team, we do start experiencing detraining within, you know, the first four weeks and we've been out, for you know months. six months yeah. plus right and so i think um if there is kind of one good thing with covid and this pandemic it's that well i mean i i've kind of been thinking about this a little bit but it's that we can as dancers and performing artists we can kind of treat ourselves like a traditional sport athlete in that there has been this off season. We can take this time to do a lot of cross training to prepare us. And if we're looking at a strength and conditioning program where there's periodization involved, this prep phase could be three, four, five months long, depending on how much time we have. Mm -hmm. And so I think starting off slow using this mindfulness training that we've already talked about to kind of really be honest with ourselves and see what we're experiencing in terms of soreness, in terms of fatigue, in um, delayed onset of muscle soreness, that type of thing. Um, just being honest with ourselves about pushing ourselves and seeing what is too much and really just kind of sitting with the work that we've done and seeing how it affects us. Totally. But to kind of go back to something a little bit more structured, if we're not doing anything, if we're, you know, if the most exercise we're doing is stirring that sourdough starter and wrapping yarn around our fingers. Mm -hmm. I think we start off with one class. I mean, now more than ever, we have this space that we can step back and really um, be advocates for ourselves and do what we need to do 
to be our best human and our best dancer. So take one class, see how that feels, see how it sits. Are you sore the next day? Are there things that are tight that weren't before? Are there weaknesses that you hadn't identified in this time that we haven't been doing much? And kind of just take note of that. It, you know, we've all been in this experience that is universal. We've all been in pandemic. We've all been dealing with kind of the fallouts from these things, but all of our experiences within this are very, very different. So some of us might have tiny spaces that we're able to move around a little bit. Some of us, I mean, I'm from Texas originally, so I know people bigger. that have, everything's bigger in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, I know people that have basically full on studios in their basements. So they, these people could have, you know, basically not had any stop at all. So I think we need to be, give ourselves the space to recognize that even though we've been through the same conditions, we've all experienced them very different and we don't need to compare ourselves to other people that have had more access, less access. Um, and yeah. Yeah. So start off, start off, kind of see how you feel and build from there. So um, I think, Go ahead. I think um, just to like put a concrete example to this, like NSCA um, guideline that you talked about. So you said they're initially advocating for 50% of what we usually do. So if we usually take, let's say six yoga classes in a week, 50% of what we usually do is is three. I did that math. Three. Right. Um, so correct. And then I think, but also I think, I think, sorry, um, in terms of, we also need to think about intensity as well. Sure. So not just dialing it back to three classes a week and giving us those space, that space, but also, um, in terms of how intense is the class that needs to be dialed back 50% too. Good. So it's not just necessarily about the time or the rep, but also the effort that's applied. I think, yeah, that's absolutely great. And I, I think that in that case scenario too, um, I would agree that for the majority of the dance community that this might be a little bit aggressive having just a five-week um, lead up to being totally ready to go back and slay. Um, so, I, I mean, I might – uh, make that even twice as long. Anyway, that again, that's individual. And I think what, you know, in terms of intensity, um, the University of Delaware has really great guidelines in terms of soreness and progression, which we can definitely put up as part of the resources for this episode um, that just kind of talk to us about like, how sore are you? And how sore are you when you start to move? And maybe this is like, you know, if you're super sore, then you definitely shouldn't be progressing at this point. I think there are some really like easily digestible guidelines in that case scenario for our community as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so we talked a bit about when we should pre we should progress and and a bit about how often we should be training um how how does jumping fit into all of this so jumping is it's interesting for the dance community even pre-covid in the greater conversation of strength and conditioning it fits into this realm of what we call plyometrics mm -hmm. And plyometrics are basically a stretch shortening cycle of the muscle. So basically whenever you jump, whenever you land, there's a contraction, the muscle has to stretch. And that rubber band effect is actually what propels us into the next maneuver. This is a really complicated thing that our body does 
pretty naturally, but this complication also taxes the body immensely. Mm -hmm. And in terms of jumping, research has shown that in a standard class, there could be over 200 jumps within a class. That's a lot, especially whenever you look at strength and conditioning recommendations where an advanced athlete might only be asked to do 150 landing points for a plyometric workout. And dancers are doing above and beyond that for every single class that they take. So I think understanding the demands that we're placing on ourselves in the dance class is helpful and recognizing that with reduced strength, with reduced control, with reduced cardiovascular efficiency, all of that's going to be hindered. So um, it used to be recommended that before you start any kind of plyometric, so including jumping, you are able to squat 150% of your body weight. That's a little short-sighted. So yeah, you have strength um, to start a plyometric workout, but really um, the recommendations have started to move towards closer to technique. So how is your technique? What does your technique look like? And um, are you able to perform the jump consistently, repetitively with good form and good technique? So even in building that, um, I actually attended a course um, from Dr. Shea, who's affiliated with um, Ailey and her recommendations were 15 single leg releves. And I think that's a great place to start um, at Harkness where I work a lot of the time. Um, we have a saute test that there's actually 16 single leg sautés, four bars repetitively. And if you can do that without any pronation of your foot, any medial drop of your knee, any hip hiking, then progression to more jump-related activities is um, an all-go. So it's it's kind of vague, not very specific in terms of recommendations, but I think strength needs to be there. So working on our strength in more of a um, pedestrian-type way, so even if it's just like normal squats, not plies, then moving to more dance-specific strength things that were stronger for a longer amount of time. So the 15 single leg releves, and then bringing a little bit of this dynamic component in to just kind of see, can we keep form? And if we can't, then we need to work on those preliminary things before building up to the other things. Because if we're going into jumps and we're having a lot of power thrown into it, but we're not controlling the landing, we're just opening ourselves up for injury. Yeah, I totally agree. I think this is... um a good point to say a couple of things. Number one, um, Shay is going to be on next month, Dr. Shay Ojovitimi, who I work with at Ailey, um, and Mr. Will, who I work with at Harkness. <laughs> I, I need to say that. Um, so uh, what I was going to say is, you know, actually, there the single leg releve thing is 
definitely a little bit vague, right? Because we have manual muscle testing in like the physical therapy athletic training realm, which says that we should be able to do 25 single leg releves. And then some people say 15 or 16. Um, and the Australian ballet says 35. Um, I would say the more the merrier, frankly. <laughs> um, uh, well, absolutely. I mean, the stronger we are, there's a neuromuscular um, kind of coordination component that's getting built up with that. Um, we certainly don't work on endurance enough in dance. It's no. so intermittent with our training that absolutely 100% agree. <laughs> totally. So, so we're saying, um, 15 is an awesome place to start, but we encourage you to do more. Um, and then the other thing that you brought up nicely and what you were just saying is to remind us all of that getting back into dance is not just like making sure you are strong or that you have the endurance, but also you need control, which is good technique. Um, and you need the mobility, right? So the ability to, you know, to get some plie going on in those ankles <laughs> if possible, um, et cetera, the, to make the whole package run efficiently. Um, Definitely. so again, like just to tie that one more time back into your jumping, you need to make sure that the control, you have the control on your landing, which is what Will was saying regarding the pronation of your foot, which means for the, your, our, um, our non-jargon speaking dancers out there are like, we don't want the, the arch of your foot to roll onto the floor and we want your knee to be um, controlled and, you know, in an ideal world over your second toe, but that's not everybody, right? Um, and all that kind of stuff as we're going into jumping. Correct. I think just looking for those compensatory things um, just to accomplish the move are hugely beneficial to identifying whether or not we're ready to progress or to really add a lot of jumping or even um, other plyometric things like um, skipping or um, box jumps or anything like that. Totally. A, a lot of the, and the, the Instagram influencer oh, careful. crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> jumping up on four boxes. And... Not necessary. Um, at the beginning, at least if whatever, it could be your goal. Let's not go there. So I think, um, what the other thing I wanted to say too is that as you're adding jumping, you're not just going to go back into jumping a hundred percent. You should still apply like a, a concept like those NSEA rules that you brought up in the beginning. Uh, Definitely progression. I mean, the recommendation is that you don't do plyometrics more than you give yourself two to three days rest in between, and that if you're doing a lot of heavy, intense resistance exercise, those aren't on the same day. So we're able to replenish and recover and renew from all of those activities. Totally. As dancers, we're doing plyometric stuff every single day in the studio. So just kind of recognizing that plyometrics are an eight to dance and that if we're trying to get back to doing that safely and in a way that isn't promoting injury, we need to dial that back. And maybe if we are doing our own plyometric stuff, maybe we don't do anything past bar or um, limiting um, repetitions that we do. Maybe we don't do every, um, every set that is given to us in a class. Totally. Um, I mean, we have like a bunch more questions to go, but I think that this is a good place to say if your head is spinning and you feel like you need help, there are resources out there, including um, some of the resources that 
Will provide. So, Will, can you talk a little bit about IPAs at Harkness? Absolutely. Um, so, Harkness has a fantastic grant that allows us to offer free injury prevention assessments. And with that introduction of COVID, we have begun giving them virtually. So basically anywhere in the world that you are, as long as you have an internet connection, we can have an hour long wellness appointment with you to talk about ways to prevent injury in the studio. So we have a little chat about sleep, nutrition, movement itself, and you will finish the appointment with some exercises that will um, give you a little worksheet on with different maybe biases or discrepancies um, that some exercises can help address in terms of returning back to the studio or if you've already been back in the studio or that type of thing. One caveat is that we we do ask that you be injury free. It is injury prevention. Um, if you're not really quite sure where you fall within that, um, happy to set one up and we're always happy to refer you to someone if it seems like it's more serious than that. Totally. So awesome resource for people who are like, oh my God, I have not done anything. And there are so many things to consider. I'd love to talk to somebody. Um, so great. Thank you, Definitely. Will. Um, okay. So let's talk. I mean, we in our professions, Will, we, we talk about training needing to be specific, which is why I said, okay, sure, if you want to box jump onto four jumps, if you have a goal to get there, then okay, that's one thing. <laughs> um, but talking about specificity, like if we're going to be wearing a mask when we're in the studio, should we be preparing to wear a mask in the studio by wearing a mask when we are training at home? Is that a valid thing to do? Absolutely. I, I think we need to get used to what it feels like. I think we need to get just like with our wellness practice and our kind of body scan. Um, we need to see does it fit? What what happens whenever we start sweating? Are we constantly just having to readjust our mask and pull it around because that isn't proper mask wearing either to constantly be touching it and adjusting it and moving it around? Um, also, what kind of materials it made of is if we're sweaters and we get wet, that makes the mask less effective. So um, just kind of seeing how the material reacts with you as a human and um, seeing what's necessary for you to be safe within the studio. And also another caveat, I do think we should be wearing masks in the studio. I've seen certain training videos of people in a studio with just six foot squares marked out and nobody in masks. Once we start exercising, we're going to start expelling air more forcefully. And that means we're going to exceed that six foot box and um, make ourselves and those around us less safe yeah. in this time. So I definitely think we should be in masks. In I, I agree more. And it's actually, I think, in the guidelines, the Dance USA um, Task Force for Dancer Wellness, they have a couple of great articles out um, about getting back into the studio during these times and they actually advocate for more than six feet. I think, what is it like 10? Um, if I can remember that off the top of my head. Um, so masks and 10 feet, you know, more than just a little tiny bubble. Um, right. 
so yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's also um, important to bring in the aspect like it's it's kind of nerve wracking to think about doing a whole bunch of cardiovascular act, uh, you know activity in something that covers your nose and mouth. So just the simple act of getting used to that in a safe space where you can take it off, I think is also beneficial. And just to myth bust a little bit, I've seen things online about how people have passed out and a lot of like cardiovascular effects of wearing a mask. Um, If you have some type of cardiovascular condition that precludes you from wearing a mask, I, I mean, you know, (laughs) kind of an offshoot, but you're probably not dancing if you have that serious of a condition that a mask is going to affect you that much. Um, And prior to COVID in performance world, there are masks sold that force you to use your lungs and your respiratory muscles Mm -hmm. harder. Mm -hmm. So this actual mask wearing to help performance has been a thing far beyond COVID. So I think we could even look at is a benefit that it's actually helping our body be stronger in this mm-hmm. moment, mm-hmm. Um, having to breathe through it. And even if you're kind of wearing a cloth mask or bandana or something like that, those aren't even restricting the airflow as much as right. those performance masks are. So right. I, I think we should be okay with wearing masks. If you um, have a condition, then maybe book privates you can't wear a mask, right, right. but um, we shouldn't be afraid of them. We should get comfortable in them and um, use them properly. And if you guys have any questions about what kind of masks are appropriate, there are a lot of resources. We can definitely put them on, you know, a link to this episode as well. Um, and I was going to say one more thing. Oh, we've, I mean, we have seen a couple of times already, unfortunately, the effects of not wearing a mask in studio um, in both DC and in Russia. So we, we definitely, we want to keep them on again for the, our own safety and for the safety of our dancers, our friends. Um, Okay. So assuming I've been training at home and uh, when I get back into class, Will I be ready to do the whole class full out with feeling? Will? No, no, no. <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, so I, I think back to my athletic training education and one of the first classes I ever took, they talked about the five S's of overuse injuries mm-hmm. and their speed, strength, stretch, surface, shoes. Mm-hmm. So basically, are we strong enough? How quickly are we doing this new activity? Are we flexible enough? What is the surface that we're on? And what are our shoes doing for it? And if we haven't been in a sprung floor, we might have been doing some jump training in a park in Mm -hmm. sneakers. Mm -hmm. Um, We might have been on an unsprung floor. So even just transferring from shoes to no shoes, unsprung to sprung, those are changes in two fifths of the kind of elements that contribute to overuse injuries. So we still need to be in a place that we adapt to that and feel comfortable and are used to this new environment that we haven't been in in five, six months. So even 
um, kind of going back to those NSCA recommendations, if you haven't been training for two weeks, there's still a gradation back to training. So I think we all need to go back into the studio with this space of just kind of seeing what world we're in and how our bodies feel. Totally. And I think this is a good place for teachers, too, who might be listening to this to be like, okay, maybe we don't teach a full class and maybe we end, you know, 20 minutes early and hold people for either discussion or maybe a few like gentle exercises and um, and gradually bring our class up to full speed so that all our, our dancers are um, can, can finish strong. Definitely. And... One thing I think dance is kind of lacking is kind is a pre-participation screen mm-hmm. in a lot of elements. So we don't have baseline data really, but just some things you can do at home are, you know, stretches. Like have your, are you less flexible? Um, jumping and putting tape on the wall to see how high that is. Kind of having an idea of where you are now and having goals for the class but having them be reasonable and anything beyond that kind of being a Mm no-go so if we're at home how how high is my developer with good form okay that's where I'm going to be and I'm not going to try to exceed that whenever I'm in the studio and I start seeing other people that might have developers higher than me right or a bigger split or a higher jump whenever we get there. I think we need to see where we are now, have those limits in place just so we can work within those and get fit and then start to improve. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause we have to realize that we are, we are in this for the long haul and not to get there tomorrow, mm-hmm. which is satisfying to get there tomorrow, but um, you know, well, I mean, things, we might be returning to the studio, but performance spaces aren't open yet. Right. And I mean, we need to be prepared for whenever they are, but I think more than ever, we can really take a concerted, methodical approach to improving our general fitness and building with right. this really, really great platform and extend our technique from that solid fitness level. Yeah, absolutely. So really that this is a chance to make your dancing even better. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and again, like using your resources, for example, the IPA, um, and anyone else, you know, who's around you, who you trust in the health and wellness sphere to help you get to your goals. Definitely. Um, okay. So when is it that we, or I should say, when do we know that we're ready to go back into an audition and just slay? Um, The number of times I, myself, or my friends have come out of an audition and not felt prepared for it, (laughs) even Uh pre-COVID, makes me think that, are are we ever 100% ready for an audition? Well, don't be a Debbie Downer. I I know. No, but Um, I get it. I get it. I get it. But the the point is i think this goes back to our mental preparedness and just if we have any reservations about things that aren't what they were before or any hesitancies about that process i think that's a huge red flag that we are not ready for an audition mm-hmm. if we have things that we mentally are still kind of working on that checklist that 
um, we knew that we had before COVID or just any kind of discrepancies in that realm, I don't think you're ready. I, and I think we need to be honest about that stuff mm -hmm. or kind of take the audition as the same as we would a class. And if you are going into an audition, you have those things that you will do, but you will not exceed those things. You will not go beyond that. And you're going to be really steadfast about your commitment to your own health and well-being. And you will perform your best, but with these kind of parameters in mind. Absolutely. Um I, I kind of got back into thinking in my head, like, for some of you, you might get back into class and realize that after bar, like, you're done and you can't do anymore because your body is telling you that this is it. Um, or you might get to, you know, one center combination and, and similar, like, decide that it's done. Um, and, and at which point, I think, Will, I'm going to put words in your mouth and you can always tell me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. um, we would both advocate for you to, to advocate for yourself, um, which was one of our our last episodes that we aired, um, advocate for yourself in the studio and, and tell your teacher, like, this is as far as I can go right now. Um, because the last thing we would want is for you to ramp up too quickly and then get injured um, and then have a longer rest period, you know, post-COVID. Definitely. Uh, you know your body and what you're able to accomplish far better than your instructor that hasn't seen you in person in six months. Yeah. So advocating for yourself and knowing what those no-goes are, are extremely important. Totally. So, okay, Will, let's recap. So you first said, <clears throat> going back to the beginning of this episode, that assuming we haven't done much over COVID, when should we start training? You advocated for, you know, as, as soon as now. Depend, no matter what your status of being ready to go back is. Um, and then we started talking about what we should incorporate in our, in our training. And you talked about, you know, well, a variety of different things like strength training, like yoga, like Pilates, like going back into class, gyrotonic, you know, whatever you can do in your space. This is assuming we're still uh, we're, we're not, gyms are not open yet, et cetera. Right. Um, Correct. and then progressing in a slow and steady way. So you talked about the NSCA guidelines. Is that an open access article, by the way? It is. It's part of their position statement and they have some really great, um, visuals that have been created to kind of give you, um, an easier way of understanding what that information is. Excellent. So, Will, let's add that as another resource. This is going to be a chock full of resources episode. <laughs> so, look, Love it. be sure to look in the uh, podcast description for that kind of information. So, we talked about progression and and that in that how often we should be training and then jumping. Remind us what we said about jumping. We need to be strong and we need to have really solid technique to move into jumping. Yes. At which point, <laughs> I could not agree more. We said if your head is spinning, you can call into Harkness and book an IPA, um, an injury prevention assessment. So you can kind of help have someone help you to um, create your return to dance schedule. Um, we talked about wearing a mask, which we said you should in the studio yes. 
always and in public for sure, but then also to train to get yourself ready to come back. Um, and, and then to really advocate for yourself once in the studio, once you're in the studio and realizing that when you get back, you're not going to just go full out with feeling, um, but that you might need to pull the reins back a little bit and um, just do what your body is ready to do. And that might take time. And for some people, it might be faster than others. And again, like we talked in the beginning about how everybody's COVID experience has been different and people have had access to different things. Um, so to respect where your body is, is super important. Um, Will, is there anything else that you think we missed or that you want to just kind of put out there for our listeners? The, just to kind of do another little plug at Harkness, we are kind of working on some resources for studios about returning to the studio. So, um, if you would like more information on that, I would certainly go to danceinjury.org and sign up for our mailing list so that you can get information on that. Also, we are having a virtual conference in October on the principles of dance medicine. So more information will be on our website and in our newsletter if anyone is interested in those things. I just really, I'm... I'm excited about this time in that I do think we are given the chance to see how cross training and doing things outside of the studio can benefit us in the studio. So I would just encourage everyone if there's something that you've always kind of wanted to do, but felt like you didn't have time because of being in the studio, now's the time to experience that stuff and just see how it can make you a better artist, a better dancer. Um, go for it. Yeah. We, we we need all of the stuff in our lives now that we possibly can because so much has been taken away. So absolutely experience it and enjoy it. And, um, you know, Will and I mostly talked about musculoskeletal things. So things to make you stronger and more, have more control and all that kind of stuff. But we also alluded to other elements of your health and wellness that are absolutely important as you're getting ready to go back into the studio. For example, your your emotional well-being. Uh, financial well-being is one of them too, creates a lot of anxiety, I'm sure. Um, and your nutrition and your sleep, you know, all these other aspects of your wellness that should really also be put in check. So we advocate that you reach out to people in your community who can help you with all of these things to make sure that all systems are online and ready to go once you get back in the studio. Yes. And um, I feel remiss for not saying it, but you your comment just now reminded me in terms of our recovery, going back and knowing that we're prepared to go back to the activity again, the, no, the two most important determinants are sleep and nutrition. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure that those things are really high quality so that we can recover faster and get back into the studio and get back to 100% faster. Absolutely. There's lots of um, rings and watches and different things that can test our heart rate variability and kind of give us some input into how recovered we are, mm -hmm. but really um, subjective information and what you feel mentally is the easiest, quickest um, way to do that. So just making sure that sleep and nutrition and all those things are in check so that this journey back is quick and as quick and easy as possible. Absolutely. And um, for those who want some more information on both sleep and nutrition, um, 
Next month on Dance School Podcast, I will have Dr. Shay Ojofatimi on to talk about sleep and why sleep matters. So you can get all educated on that subject. And then we also have some episodes on nutritional wellness um, that we have done for Dance Well. So you can go ahead and scroll back through our episode history. Um, Will, thank you so much. That was really informative. It's been so much fun. I miss you. I miss <laughs> you too. To chat for a while. <laughs> Me too. Okay. To all of our listeners, also thank you for tuning in and take care, Will. Bye. Have a great day. On behalf of Ellie and myself, I, Marissa Schaefer, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzie, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to Dancewell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help us to pay for SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a contribution to Dancewell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website at www.dancewellpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.